What's up and welcome back to the TCP Podcast. This is Tyler Clark with TC Performance and I appreciate you guys for tuning back in as usual. Quick note just for everybody listening, um, I haven't been as consistent as previous months, previous weeks, so I apologize for that. It's been busy, um, haven't been able to get a lot of guests on, but these next couple of weeks, months, uh, whatever going forward, I fully plan on getting you guys weekly episodes monthly episodes a regular routine on wednesdays um that is the that is the goal so apologize for not being as consistent hopefully there's enough content within this entire show that you guys are able to either go back on episodes you weren't able to listen to to begin with um, or re-listen to episodes too because that's always good um, on occasion as well but quick reminder to the listeners please make sure to subscribe to this show on whichever platform you're on whether that's a podcast spotify whatever it is you're listening to give it a five-star rating review give me some feedback i'll get back to you guys and share it with somebody else who may not know about it appreciate you guys for that this week um, i want to touch on a subject that i mentioned in last episode that i put out um, my three takeaways from coaching at college and the last one that i brought up is basically practice design in a team setting and how we can optimize our team sessions our team practices and get the most out of those make it the most efficient make it the most conducive to our players to our team as a whole so what i want to touch on first is kind of the mindset and um, a mind shift upon practices and kind of how we approach practices how we look at our players ourselves as coaches Um, and that mindset shift is how we view ourselves and how we view our players so Instead of coach and player or player coach, whatever, I want you guys to shift your mindset to now thinking of yourself as a teacher and thinking of your players as learners. Okay, so just that mindset alone, that mindset shift will do a lot for you as a player, as a coach. Everybody involved will get more out of that entire practice, that year, if our perception on ourselves is shifted from player coach to now teacher and learner. If we make that shift to now our players are learners, the end goal and the ultimate goal in general is to build these athletes up as learners, right? They can learn anything at any time. We're constantly teaching them new skills. And as teachers, that's our job, right? And there's a good quote from John Wooden, you haven't taught until they've learned, right? So that's going to look different for every single athlete. You might You might, quote unquote, teach one athlete one thing, but you haven't taught the entire team anything if not everyone's on the same page and they haven't learned. So it's important to understand kind of what our role is and that perception behind the role. And to go off of that, I mentioned we're trying to build better learners. We're trying to build the big keyword here is decision makers, right? We don't want to build robots. We want to build competent and capable decision makers that can make decisions on their own without having to consult with us as much right i don't want a player if i'm a head coach personally i don't want a player that has to look at me every single time down the floor to see what we need to do right and that we can talk about that a lot more in depth is what should our offensive sets look like strategically x's and o's whatever it is that obviously gets down a much bigger deeper topic And that's what you have to do as a coach, implement certain offenses, certain whatever you need. um, So you can put your players in a situation like that. But teaching the game of basketball and teaching our players, our learners, how to be better learners and make better decisions will ultimately make your team better, will make these players better at basketball. I also think that it's important to note that 
I think a lot of times we look at skill development and player development as a specific role, right? I'm a player development coach or I'm a skills trainer, whatever title you want to give me, let's go outsource that to somebody else, right? But ultimately, if you are a skill development coach or a player development coach listening to this right now, you have to think about the percentage of time that their coaches, these players' coaches are going to be having with the with the players, right? You, you might have an off season with them three months out of the year with these players to help them get better. Now, ultimately, if you have a good relationship with the head coach of the team that they're playing on, you can implement things that they need to get better at within the offense, within their team, within their system. But ultimately, the coach has the most direct path to their development. So how can we as player development coaches, as people with influence upon player development, how can we get through to team coaches more and how can we help them and guide them to optimize better practice design, optimize their their, their team sessions? How do we get more out of those coaches? How do we get more out of those practice sessions? Like I said at the beginning, I think it starts with a mindset shift. We're teachers and learners. That's an important mindset shift. But then we need to talk about things like motor learning, skill development, skill acquisition. What exactly is that, right? The traditional approach is let's just get a bunch of reps on air. Let's do five on O. Let's do three on O. Let's do everything on air, essentially, and then get right into our five on five stuff. The five on five stuff, whenever we're playing live, don't change it, right? All that stuff is good. But if we're trying to help develop these players' games and help them play better in game in general, say increase their field goal percentage or finish around the rim better or whatever specific goal or skill that you want to improve, there needs to be again, a mindset shift and at least an effort to understand how do we truly improve a player's ability to get better, right? To make more shots, to feel more confident going to the rim, to make better decisions, right? So I want to define what a repetition is. A true repetition always involves a decision. So if you're a coach and you're thinking about what your practices look like, think about the kind of quote unquote reps that they're getting. What kind of repetitions are they truly getting? Are they just shooting to shoot? And I'm not, I don't want to tell you guys that block practice or shooting on air is bad because it's not, right? There's a time and place, especially in a team setting on a game day, you want to feel good. You want to see shots go in. You want to see, right? You want to implement block practice in some cases, if it's a low day, game day, whatever. But if you're trying to improve these players, your repetitions should not be on air, right? You want to improve these players, these learners, by improving their ability to make decisions quicker, more efficiently. So you need to add some type of stimulus to help them make a decision. And this could be a very, very easy tweak. All you have to do is, instead of doing five spot shooting, you have three people involved, one's a passer, one's a rebounder, one's a shooter. Instead of that traditional setup, now we just have a rebounder, you're gonna pass it out to the shooter, and the other person who was going to be a passer is now just mock defense, right? They just put a hand up. They do something to make this player who's shooting the basketball make a decision, right? Now we're creating learners. We are creating playmakers. We're creating basketball players that can make decisions for themselves, not just robots sitting in a spot, just getting reps up. One of the most important things in basketball is learning how to read space and play with that space, play throughout that space, especially on offense. So 
a lot of times whenever we're doing these shooting drills, if it's a one dribble pull up or a layup drill or something, we have a set specific type of layup, specific type of shot that we're trying to get. A one dribble pull up, we have to get a certain amount of feet. We have to do that over and over and over. So now we're not getting repetitions, learning how to read space, right? And this kind of, we can fault trainers and I'm going to include myself in this because I am a quote unquote trainer, player development coach, whatever you want to call me we're always worried about moves nowadays, right? We, we, we have a bunch of people on Instagram, TikTok, wherever it is posting the top five moves or do this move to get by a defender every single time. So a lot of times players are actually more worried about their moves than how to read space or how to move and create opportunities with that space. So how do we, how do we get out of that? How do we, as coaches, as player development coaches, improve our players and our learners ability to actually create opportunities, to learn space, to move throughout space, and to read space. I want you guys to think about this as you're trying to create improv comics, right? If, if you've ever gone to a comedy show or improv, whatever it is, their whole entire initiative is to improv, right? They're, they're interacting with the crowd. They're just coming up with things on off the top of the head based on crowd interaction. Oh, they talk about a relationship. Okay, well, they're creating entire jokes off of that person's interaction, right? We want to create improv comics on the court. We're going to react. We're going to instinctually act based off of the space, based off the things that happen, whether it's defense, our offensive players, our teammates. Can we react? Can we instinctually act and adjust based off of what everybody else is doing? Are we building improv comics or are we building robots that just do what they're told? Um, how good people's decisions are under the fast moving, high stress conditions of rapid cognition is a function of training principles and their continuous rehearsal and practice, right? So what are our training principles? Does our offense become reliant on an individual talent or individual player? Um, is the team or the individual players on the court, are they becoming dependent on a coach's word? Uh, are we predictable to prepare for? Are the things that I just listed off, those will create robotic players, right? Now, if, if our principles are to develop efficient use of time by blending tactical and technical components or integrated player development system developed around cognition, right? That's how we're developing our players. Are we developing positioning and teaching positioning? Are we developing problem solving? Are we teaching our players, our learners, how to be unpredictable with or without the basketball, right? These are good principles and Ultimately, that is what will dictate how good a person's decisions are under the fast-moving, high-stress conditions of rapid cognition. Ultimately, we're trying to develop experts, and experts have the ability to anticipate, encode information efficiently and effectively, recall and recognize patterns all better than less expert counterparts, right? So they're able to anticipate a lot better, encode information efficiently and effectively, and then recall and recognize patterns way faster and way more efficiently than those that can't. Obviously, that's what separates the great from the good, the experts from the non-experts. And that's what we're trying to develop in our practices, right? The more problems that we can solve, the more decisions that we can make within a team setting, the better. You guys have five, between five to seven days, because some programs practice every single day of the week. You guys have five to seven opportunities of an, a window of between an hour to two hours with probably 15 different people in that 
team setting and that practice to get better, right? Not everybody has access to 15 players that are willing to get better in that situation, right? You can't bet on those 15 players to get their individual workouts in, to get small group workouts in, do small side games, make more decisions outside of practice because it's just, it's just not realistic. Not every single basketball player, whether it's high school, college, or pro, is getting an extra reps, right? So at the bare minimum, you know that they have to show up for practice. So let's optimize those practices. Let's make the most of those sessions, those practices. We have the entire team, and that is upwards of 15 people, maybe more than that. You can accomplish so much with that amount of group, with that amount of people. You can get so much accomplished from a development standpoint and from a strategical standpoint, from your principles, from an X's and O's standpoint, that you can get so much done with that. And we're not always optimizing it, especially when we do five and O stuff or a three man weave or block shooting multiple days in a row, right? There needs to be a rhyme or reason and there needs to be a specific goal. And in my opinion, the specific goal is we're trying to create better problem solvers. We're trying to create improv comics, experts, all competent and capable players, learners that can make their own decisions in the game when it actually matters. Now, I want to define our practices and designing practice a little bit further. I've talked about the importance of kind of shifting our mindset to players equal learners, coaches equals teachers, and we want to create improv comics and experts and all these different things. But how exactly do we do that, right? We've all been in practices, whatever level it is, where we do a lot of the same and similar things, almost every single program, right? Every single program, we're going to go 5 and 0, or we got a three-man weave, or we introduce cones, or a 3VO, or a skeleton offense. And these things, I don't want to say that they're inherently bad, because plenty of programs have won using that kind of stuff. But why can't we do better, right? Why can't we build even better players? Um, and using that kind of stuff again, is, in my opinion, the bare minimum. We know more now as as coaches and trainers and people that are helping develop athletes, we have a lot more research at our disposal. And that research is telling us a lot better ways to develop these, these people, these athletes. So why wouldn't we try to use these methods to increase it, right? To improve our ability to actually transfer what we're doing in practice over to games. So like I said, the three-man weave, uh, they're introducing cones, 3VO, skeleton offense, those kind of things have a lower rate of transfer just inherently, right? And a lot of research will back this. So how do we increase the environment? How do we increase the practices, right? So we have to look at both purposeful practice design and then deliberate practice design. Purposeful is kind of that middle territory where it's good, it's getting better, but it's kind of the middle of transfer, right? Whenever we get into deliberate practice and deliberate practice design specifically, that's our highest rate of transfer, right? So purposeful is we're a little bit out of comfort, out of our comfort zone. Um, we have specific actions that we're working on and we're showing, we're implementing, and then we're, we're implementing more decisions into our practices. Now, deliberate practice we're getting out of our comfort zone and then we have feedback from our coaches, right? And I can discuss a little bit more what that feedback should look like. Um, I've talked about this in later episodes. Uh, but again, now we're out of our comfort zone. And then when we're out of that comfort zone, we get feedback from coaches. We still have those specific actions that we're working on. We still have those decisions that we're making now. 
It also now involves mistakes and learning from those mistakes in a productive and efficient way, right? We should be failing at a semi-high rate, not enough to completely discourage our players and our learners, but enough to keep them engaged and wanting to learn more and basically persevere through this adversity that they're experiencing in the practice. And what exactly should we do as a coach with that feedback? And when those mistakes happen, we don't want to just give them the answer, right? Because if we go back to our goal, the end goal is to build better problem solvers, decision makers, improv comics, experts, all the analogies, all, all those things. Um, so as coaches, what our feedback should look like is we're trying to guide them to their own discovery, right? So if we can help them discover the solution in one word, so be it. That's all you need. You shouldn't start with more. You should start with less, right? If they're having a very hard time with the concept or they're not doing something correctly, they keep making mistakes. One, that's good because they're, they're learning. Two, now we can help this player by guiding them to that discovery to get past that adversity. So again, one word, then if one word doesn't work, let's give them two words of feedback. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's maybe it's finishing off of two feet with some defense, right? If they're just not getting enough contact, they're not killing enough space off of that initial two-foot jump, then if they're just not getting it, they're not making a layup, they're really struggling, take them aside and tell them, hey, contact. That's all you have to say. See see what they what they get out of that one word of feedback. If they again, if they're still struggling, they don't improve the the type of contact that they're initiating earlier or later or whatever, then again, give them some more feedback. Now it's two words, earlier contact, see what they do. If they're still just not getting it, then take them aside. Maybe you need to actually have a whole conversation with them, but start with less and then move up to more, right? The feedback and the type of feedback that you're giving as a coach is important because we always have to go back to our goals. We're trying to create improv comics. We're trying to create better problem solvers, better decision makers. Do not give them sol the solution immediately. Help them and guide them to that and help them figure it out for themselves. Now let's dive a little bit deeper into practice design. And I have five keys or five pillars that will create practice design as a whole and ideally help you optimize those practices. So one, we need to introduce games and constraints and games can be anything of your imagination, right? It can be a two-on-two -two game, a one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-two, whatever it is, just introduce games into your practices. These are small set of games. They're phenomenal for teaching, phenomenal for learning. Implement them, use them, you need to. Uh, constraints, also extremely, extremely valuable tool. If we're trying to get better as a team, scoring off of two feet, for this drill, for this game that we're doing, you can only score off of two feet, right? Use another constraint. Uh, you, you as a team in this three-on-three -three situation, you only get two passes. Or if I pass it to the corner, they can only put up a jump shot. Use different constraints to manipulate the environment and the game itself to pinpoint the skill that you want to increase, right? So the second one is representative learning. So what this fancy word and fancy term means is we basically just want to create an environment that is representative of the context of the sport that we're playing. So if we're playing basketball, we want to create an environment and a learning situation that is representative of the actual basketball court that we see. So 
what kind of constraints, what kind of factors can we implement into our actual environment to make it more representative to the game of basketball? We can manipulate space on the floor. We can use the shot clock to our advantage. We can use the game clock to our advantage. We can introduce different levels of stress, right? Figuring out how to make it more representative to the actual game of basketball so there's more transfer as possible we want the most transfer as possible right if it's representative of the game it'll feel like the game and that makes it a lot easier when we are in game because they've been in this situation before they can solve problems that they've seen before they can self-organize and figure it out at that point right the next one is we want to introduce random practice and interleaving practice so i've talked about this before random practice introduces variability and variability we have to solve different problems at a rapid rate and that is ultimately the goal. And I don't need to say much more on that. Random practice is, it just scientifically is proven to have a higher transfer rate. So that is variability. That is adding a hand in the face, getting different reads every single repetition. Pretty simple. Now, the next one, number four, is you want to engage the mind over the body. You want to engage both, of course, but we, we need to figure out what is the most important for our practice design. Do we want to build improv comics and experts? Cool. So then we need to engage the mind, right? We need to be in good condition. We need to be in good shape, of course. But ultimately, we need to engage the brain and the mind because that's what is going to be making the decision, right? We need to be making very, very good decisions efficiently, rapidly, and in close quarters, especially when it matters. So yes, engage the body, especially I'm a performance guy. So you need to take care of that kind of stuff in order to even be on the court. But from a practice design standpoint, optimizing that we need to engage the mind over the body. And then the last one is as a coach and as a trainer, again, we need to make a decision. What's more important decisions or getting reps up? And in my opinion, you should be prioritizing making decisions over just getting reps up, right? There is going to be a time and place for just getting reps. There is always a time and place for that. If it is a low day, a recovery day, get your reps up. If it's a game day, you don't want to do a ridiculous, ridiculously hard practice or session prior to the game. So you're mentally and physically exhausted, right? Just get your reps up. Those are the times that you can get reps up and do block practice. But ultimately, especially in the majority of your practices and when designing practices, you need to prioritize making decisions over just getting up reps. And to me, that is end of story, period. We need to build better decision makers. So we need to prioritize making decisions in practice over just getting empty reps. Now, I don't want to ramble on for too much longer. I think that we we talked about a good amount in this episode. Um, the last couple of things that I do want to leave you guys with, though, is something that I referred to earlier in this episode is basically the role of a team coach in this entire process, right? Think about the percentage of time that these team coaches have with the players that you're working with if you're just a skill development coach. A lot more than you have. So put your ego aside right? And don't just think about, okay, this is my player. I'm getting them better. No. How can we get through to the coach and, and optimize these sessions, these practices and help the players that we're working with, right? So player development starts and ends with the head coach. We cannot divorce individual skill development from the team. So again, I'm going to shout out and call out all my, my skill development guys, my player development guys, we need to figure out better ways to get through to head coaches because 
that's the people that are spending the majority of their time with these players, with our players, right? We can do all the skill work in the world. We can do these crazy drills. We can do whatever work wonders, like genuinely good coaches do great jobs, obviously with a lot of players, but when they go into a system in a, in a program with a head coach that is basically just throws everything that we do out the window, one, they might lose out on some of the gains that they made over the summer because they don't maintain that throughout the season. And two, it's just not optimal for that one player, but then also the entire team, right? We could do better as a head coach, as an assistant coach, a, a staff in general. If you are on staff at any program, if it's high school, college, professionally, whatever it is, we could do better and, and, and you could do better as a staff, as a whole in optimizing your practices. Again, figure out what your goals are as a coach. And if you want to take my advice, my goal as a head coach, which sidebar, I plan on being a head coach in the future. Um, my, my goal, whenever I become a head coach is to build better decision makers. I want to build improv comics. I want to create experts, right? Players that are competent and that I can rely on to make their own decisions based off of the feedback that they get from the game of basketball in real time. They don't have to look at me. They don't, they don't feel like robots. They don't, right. That is the goal for myself. If that's the goal for you and your practice doesn't represent that, then maybe you should take a look at yourself, take a step back and just figure out how can I optimize my practices? What is a better practice design? How do I design better practices in general? But that is what I want to leave you guys with. Um, I feel like that's a good topic. And again, the coaches, the head coaches out there are really the people that we need to get through to because I think that there is a lot of head coaches out there that may not be doing the best job uh, with practice design and it's not their fault. They just might not have the information um, or maybe it is their fault and maybe they're just hardheaded. They don't want to change their ways because they've had success with it. And again, that's fine. If you want to continue doing what you're doing and you're successful with it, do it. I'm not telling you you have to change. I'm just giving you some more resources, some more information to now if you want to change and potentially increase your success and be even more successful, try it out. But again, I'm not, you don't have to do it. By, by no means do you have to do it. I just want to provide some insight, um, some thought, provoking information, whatever. So again, appreciate you guys for listening. Hope that this was a good topic for you guys this week. Uh, we will be back next week. Peace.